This is the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. Hey, welcome to this month's podcast. Uh, Gosh, I have such an exciting thing to get to share with you. Uh, Back in September, the 26th through the 30th, I had an incredible opportunity to travel with John Maxwell and about eight or nine other people uh, to a trip with him uh, to Paraguay and to Brazil, and uh, just a remarkable time. Uh, Literally was able to spend hour upon hour upon hour with John and just a handful of people. Uh, The flight to and from alone was seven and a half hours of just uninterrupted mentoring. And I, I just am absolutely overwhelmed by the, the opportunity and the privilege to have done that. Uh, for most of you, obviously, you're going to know who John Maxwell is. Uh, he's, uh, of course, uh, a leadership expert on anybody's uh, uh, purview. Everybody in the, in, on the planet, basically, would recognize him as certainly one of the top, if not the foremost, if you will, expert on the subject of leadership. He's uh, uh, sold over 35 million books on the subject, which is 35 million more books than I've sold on anything. Uh, and he's developed secular companies, and I want to focus on that as part of our time today, but he's developed secular companies, and particularly the leadership company is, is the largest in the world, uh, where they've trained over 40,000 coaches to go to 120 uh, countries and have trained well over 6 million leaders around the world. Presently, there are 23 nations where the president or leader of that nation has invited Maxwell to come. So again, it was such an incredible opportunity. And so what I'm calling this podcast is mentoring from a world-class kingdom builder. Even though John's primary application to those who know him in the world today would be from a secular perspective, I want to talk to you on how he has leveraged that to the kingdom of God. For many of us in leadership that are in pastoral ministry or in ministry roles, sometimes it's hard for people to translate our world into their world. But Maxwell is such a great great example of someone who can help you help people to leverage their world and the platform God's given them in whatever scale of, of, of influence it may be or may not be to expand and, and enhance God's kingdom. Now, I, I first became aware of John Maxwell when the church had just begun. We were, oh, I don't know, maybe two, three years old. Um, the say I was over my head would be the understatement of all understatements. And some, uh, a, a minister friend, actually Gerald Brooks, uh, began to, to make me aware of, of, of John Maxwell. And so I, I really didn't know much about John. I'd never read anything, and uh, but... After I did read some of his, his material on leadership, I decided I wanted to delve more deeply, so I bought John's 100-tape series on leadership, and it was very expensive, and uh, I can remember at the time thinking, this is, I don't know where we'll get the money for this, but, but I realized that I had to make an investment in the deficit of my understanding of leadership, and I wore those tapes out. I mean, some of them I actually wore, wore out, but I listened to them over and over and over again. And and actually had friends at the time almost be critical about it and like, you know, what man, what are you wasting your money on all this stuff for? You know, that's really not going to help you. And I heard a friend say this years later, which I think is the just the ideal way to consider investments into your growth. He said, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. 
and I was swimming in it. And, and I'll never forget the impact to this day that Maxwell has had on my leadership. Now, honestly, I never dreamed I'd have the opportunity to spend such an intimate time with him. But here's something that I think we all have discovered as leaders, and certainly as pastors, is that everything God does to grow us is so we can help grow others. We want to leverage everything we gain and pour it into the lives of other people. So I want to take you just to a few of the lessons that, that I gathered both directly from John and from watching him. And I, I mean sincerely, hours upon hours upon hours of asking questions, and not just from me, but there were a few other pastors on the trip. And then there were some business leaders that were on the trip. And I, I have to be honest with you, I, I, just listening to the questions they formed was incredible. So the questions were remarkable. The answers were, were, were remarkable. But as I was sitting on the plane with him, having this intimate conversation, I, I thought of the church I pastor and the people I pastor, and I thought of you. And I thought, what would I have given to have sat in this seat 20 years ago, 30 years ago, well, 10 minutes ago, really? It was remarkable, and I want to take you there. So that said, let me talk to you first about the first principle that I, that I really gathered from John on this trip. It's this. Leaders who build God's kingdom learn and they grow from loss. Let me say it again. Leaders who build God's kingdom will learn and they will grow from loss. And the statement that he made that kind of opened this up to me, and I created the title, but this is a direct quote. He said, what happens to you doesn't have to determine what happens in you. I want to say that again. What happens to you in life does not have to determine what happens in you. The reality of it is we all experience loss, every one of us. But we're going to have to make a decision in this thing called life, whether the losses that we experience are going to stop us or whether we're going to trust God's grace and not let it take our hearts away. One thing I've learned about leadership is that if your heart is not whole, if you can't engage from a heart level, you're done. It doesn't matter how much work you do, how much effort, how, how much you desire to serve and to help and to bring value to people, but when your heart gets damaged, when your heart's taken away, and, and loss has a tendency, in fact, it's a perfect environment for it to happen. Now, the losses that we experience because of our failures or uh, just ignorance, those are bad enough. But there are losses that we're all going to experience in life that we didn't see coming, that we didn't plan for, that we really didn't do anything to necessarily even create. But nonetheless, they come to all of us. So I want to encourage you with this thought. You, not your circumstances, will define the impact of your life. Let me please say, please hear this with your heart. Because if you're not there today, someday you will be. You, not your circumstances, will define the impact of your life. Some of the statements that John's known for making and at some level were repeated during this trip, he said that if you just live to develop yourself, then you can certainly experience some level of personal success. But if you develop and, and, and your passion is to develop a team around you, then you can actually experience and achieve growth for yourself and others. But the highest level is he said that if you give yourself to develop leaders, then you can experience and achieve 
what he would call explosive growth. I think we're all aware that Jesus had a demand upon leaving the planet that we would all experience or that he would experience through us explosive growth. He literally said, go get me the whole world. That's why in Romans 9, Paul said when he was referring to the Jewish people, he said, Christ is my witness. I speak with utter utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. I think we see such a heart in Paul that says, there's a, a damaging going on in my soul. There's a grief. He's called it an unending grief, a, a bitter sorrow that his heart was filled with. And it so compelled him to reach and to serve and to love people and to care so deeply for the people that ultimately would be responsible for facilitating his martyrdom. He literally said to, of, of those people, I would be willing to go to hell if it would mean they go to heaven. John tells a story of of, of devastating life lesson that he experienced. And actually, I, I heard this, this more intensely on another opportunity that I was with John. And he tells a story of when he was pastoring his first church. And it was growing, and everything was expanding. He's a very talented man, very gifted man. And uh, there was a family in his church who had a, a loved one come to visit from another state, uh, you know, a, a relatively, I guess, successful person, and that person was going to spend the morning with John. Now, the family knew he wasn't, he didn't know the Lord. Their intention, of course, was that John would be able to share Christ with him. And John said, you know, I knew as well that would be my, my motivation and my purpose. He said, but what I really ended up being focused on was showing him everything that I had accomplished and, and, and let him see the breadth and the depth of, look what I've done. And, and he said it was more about me than even him, obviously. And, and, and it was just, I was, you know, young and filled with ego. He said, now, that was a morning meeting. He went time with him. He went back to his family. I did things, came back to my home. When, when I saw my, my wife, Margaret, at the door, she said, John, the man you met with this morning went back to the family where he was visiting and he died. He fell over dead. And he's, his body's already at the funeral home. And they want you to come. And they want you to do the funeral. His other family members already know about it. They're going to be coming in to, this, to our town. And you're going to do the funeral. So he said as he went to that place, something happened to him. He realized that God himself had sent this man to him so that he could experience the gospel and receive Christ. And now when John was telling us this story, you would have thought it happened last week, but it was nearly 40, 45 years before. But he, he could barely speak. He, his, he, his voice was breaking as he wept, as he said, that man today, to my knowledge, is in hell. And he's there because I didn't do what God sent him there to do. And he said, my life changed that day. And every, now listen to this, this is the lesson. Everything I do today was born out of that experience. You see, we're all going to experience loss. It's going to happen to all of us. But we're going to have to decide what we do with it. Is it going to be a place from which we grow a compassion toward others? Or is it going to be that unending, gaping hole that we sink our life into and our heart gets captured by something that's temporary, even devastating, but not eternal? 
And then secondly, he said this, and I learned, and again, he didn't give these exact words. I'm giving you what I grasped from watching him and actually from asking questions and others asking questions and him just pouring his life out to us. It's this. Leaders build God's kingdom, or we could say it this way, leaders that build God's kingdom will scale their lives at the potential and the heart of God. Leaders that will build God's kingdom will scale their life at the potential and at the heart of God. And so we all hear the term today, scale a company, scale a business, scale a whatever. And what he was trying to get across to us is that if you're going to build God's kingdom, you cannot look at it as building or scaling it, if you will, at, at just at your level of, of, of capacity, just at your level of giftedness. But you must see the capacity to build the kingdom of God at the potential of God, at the heart of God. And something was so interesting, he kind of gave us an analogy of two worlds that you always have to live in as a leader. He said, you're always going to have to understand that you're going to be through two, two tensions, the work of the seed and the joy of the fruit, the work of planting the seed and all that comes with that, and then the joy of the fruit or the joy of, in, of actually embracing the harvest. He told a story about an old man in Europe that as these young people were passing through this little village as tourists, they came up and met this old man and they thought, you know, he would know the history of this little town. And he said, they said to the old man, they said, hey, uh, have any great men or women been born in this village? And his answer was, no, only babies, only babies. There are no such thing as great men and women. There's a great God. And any greatness that, that develops within us takes time. It's not something you fall into. And he was trying to show the difference between understanding that you will always be building, if you will, from the position of planting seeds, and then always, as, as you keep being fruitful in ministry, enjoying harvest, but you never stop planting the seeds. And truthfully, all of us are called to plant seeds that will grow plants, that will bear fruit that we will never even see. But that's the call upon every believer. Genesis 8.22 tells us that as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. It's a biblical principle. This will always exist, and there is no way around it. He said these sentences that, I, that, that are so impactful. He said, remember, anything of value is uphill and hard. Anything of value is uphill and difficult. There's a reason why most people don't have gardens because they're hard. I love to eat tomatoes out of gardens. And once you do, you almost can't eat one from a grocery store. And I have learned through the years as a pastor that faith without hints is dead. So every year I'll say, hey, you know, if God leads any of you that are, have a garden and you have tomatoes, if you want to give some to your pastor, you know, I believe, you know, you'd be hearing from heaven. And yearly I get a load of tomatoes, but I didn't grow one of them. And here's the reason. It's hard. And I don't have the focus, the time, attention, or the, or the desire, but I sure do love the tomato. In ministry and in life, you're always going to have to be living in those two worlds, the work of the seed, the joy of the fruit. We all so, so love the joy of the fruit, but we have to learn to love, John said, the work of the seed. And we had the opportunity to experience this in Paraguay and Brazil. Paraguay is a place where 
John's leadership company has softened the soil, and leaders have been being trained there for years. And 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 his curriculum getting into the public schools is what they were actually finalizing while we were there. And and he's sitting there, you know, in a in a morning meeting with the the minister of education, asking John's team to help write a bill for their Congress to enact a law to require every student in the nation to go through a three-year curriculum of John's teaching on values, which is a secular teaching, but based in biblical values. And all of it, though, was to leverage it for the kingdom of God. And so John did a national meeting with, with leaders in the country. Uh, and, and the uniqueness of, of John, John Maxwell is that, truthfully, is that most of us who do evangelism in developing countries are reaching the bottom 10% of the nation, which is exactly what we should be doing, and I've, I've done it myself, but very few people are called to reach the top 10%, and that's how John is leveraged, his, his, his everything he is in his business world for the kingdom of God, and all of the work there was for one reason. All of the work there was so that you could get to the meeting to where he could do a national leadership meeting, and when the meeting's over, he does something that is so remarkable he stops and he said, our time's over today, two-day seminar, but if you would like to stay, we're going to take a five-minute break, but you, you, you're welcome to leave. Thank you for coming, but if you'd like to stay, I'm going to spend about 20 minutes, and I'm going to tell you how I got these values, and it's about my relationship with God, and I was in the room. No one left, particularly when the leaders of a nation are there. Most people just stick around till the leader leaves, and John shared his testimony and out of the 20,000 people that were engaged that day, 70% of them made a commitment to Christ. I'll tell you the truth. I believe he may be the greatest evangelist, or certainly in the top five, alive on planet Earth. But I didn't know that about him. And here's why. Because he wasn't interested in anybody knowing that his secular life was going to be leveraged fully for the kingdom, other than those that were going to help him accomplish that. Some of the statements he made about building God's kingdom at God's potential and not your own were this. He said, remember, answers don't come on the front end of anything. They come as you're moving. Remember that as you, as you seek to do the will of God, as you seek to serve and bring value to people. If you're waiting for answers to start, you're, you're going to be in a very tough position because he, what a great statement. Answers don't come on the front end of anything. They come as you are moving. Here's another statement. When you quit, you will never know what you lost, whether that's in your ministry, your marriage, your career, your family. When you quit, you'll never know what you lost. He said from age 60 to 74, of which he is right now, he said, I've compounded what I've done in all my previous years combined. He said, in essence, he said, when most people are thinking of winding it down, I realized that God had positioned me to scale my life and to maximize every bit of influence I have for the kingdom. And I have done more in the kingdom of God from 60 to 74 than the previous 60 years combined. How about this statement? If you're an older leader or even not, if you interact with anyone who's moving toward the, the, the back half of life or the back 40, listen to this statement. Many people miss the best part of their life because it's the last part of their life. And what he was trying to impart to all of us, and the business guys particularly, he said, is this really what you want to live for? 
another house, another this, another that. How much more success do you need? Your job is to leverage all of it for the kingdom of God. And lastly, the third thing, and this is just a few of our final minutes together. I saw him basically illustrate this with his life. People who build God's kingdom will leverage everything they have, everything they are for God. People who build God's kingdom will leverage everything they have and everything they are for God. That's why I wanted to leverage my time with him for you. And this statement, I think, was this is gold to people who serve in churches that are not in ministry, that are not called and separated into ministry vocation. He said to the business guys, you remember this, he said, your vo-, and he said this with passion, your vocation is nothing more than your God-given platform to reach those without Christ. That's all it is. He said, I, he said literally, I'm just an evangelist trapped in a, in a businessman's body that is known for teaching leadership. He said, I own four secular companies. I lead one nonprofit, but understand all that matters to me are the souls of men and women. And he said, everything else won't matter, and it will be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. He said, everything I do, if it doesn't translate to an eternal value, will be wood, hay, and stubble, and will disappear at the judgment seat of Christ. He said, and, he, and he was so encouraging all of us, don't waste your life. Don't get trapped in your sorrow. Don't get trapped in your failures. Don't get trapped in your even your, your, your potential, your, your giftedness, or your lack of it. Leverage everything for the kingdom of God. Scale everything at the, at, at the sacrifice of Jesus. Look at the price he paid and pay every price. He said, and what he was getting across to us is that I'm 74 years old. This is the best part of my life, not the worst part. And, I'm, and he was telling us what he was going to do when he turned 75 and how much fun he was going to have doing it. And all that man lived for on that meeting, while he was speaking to national leaders and doing literally impacting nations, is that he kept trying to add value to each of us. And as we went to Brazil, and we flew from Paraguay to Brazil, it was a very quick trip, but he was starting to do the work of the seed in Brazil. And there he met with their minister of education. But whereas Paraguay has 7 million people, Brazil has 230 million Paraguay is 7 million people, but in Brazil, there are 180,000 schools, 2.2 million teachers. In the next three to five years, everything that's happening in Paraguay will begin to happen in Brazil. And what an amazing thing to get to see. And I wonder what it's going to be like that day. I really hope that I'm able to take the trip. When he does a national meeting and, a, and literally the top 10% of a nation hears the gospel, Only God knows the eternal impact. So as I wind our time down together, it's my hope that you keep growing yourself, you keep building yourself. And I hope that my time with Maxwell was leveraged well to help you at least a little bit. If these podcasts are of value to you, please share them. Please leave a review. Let people know if they're helping you as you want to help others. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next month. Thanks again for tuning in to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get the word out and to help others grow as leaders. We'll see you back here next time for another episode of the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast.